breakdowns in the middle of their projects. My favorite of all time, of course, is still that Hideaki Anno just started having like a borderline suicidal episode in the middle of Evangelion. And instead of being like, oh, I should quit, he was like, nope, this is what the show is about now. So I'm glad that you just said that because, hey, you know what? Let's not even prolong it this time. We're talking about anime from the get-go. You're probably listening to the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, this is Nick. And I'm Kyle. And uh, we record this here podcast every two weeks that is ostensibly about the television series The Big Bang Theory. But uh, we're not exactly fans. You know, this isn't a hate cast but it's it's fine. We mostly like talking about things that we think uh, real nerds talk about because we are those. And boy, oh boy, did we ever just immediately get into anime. And Kyle, the reason I'm saying I'm thankful you brought that up is um, I've never finished Neon Genesis. And I know we've talked about this. I don't know if it was on the podcast before, but we, we, we've just us talked about it once before. And I said it's because I got kind of sick of the the what felt like formulaic kaiju battles and my problem i guess is i've yet to get to the part where everything starts to get wacky and i've only ever been told vaguely like oh it's gonna get pretty crazy and i'm always like yeah there's probably gonna be some stupid revelation about the angels that i don't give a shit about now i'm more interested now that i know there was in fact trauma involved (laughs) Oh, really? Did you never know that before I told you that just now? I, that, that is my first time hearing that. No, yeah, it's, no, no, it's always no. been so vague for me. I had no idea. No, famous. So the thing, I, I mean, I'm not, there's not really anything even to spoil. It's just that the, it, the reason people don't like say, well, just wait until you get like to halfway through because that's when it gets good or whatever is because that's not how it worked. It wasn't like there was always some like twist or like aesthetic change planned in the series. no. The, the director, you know, who was fairly young to have so much responsibility and was at a very vulnerable point in his life and his career, like, you know, as they wound down on the final. I don't even re- – like, it happens startlingly late. That's, I guess, is the first thing I'll say. It doesn't happen like – you know it wasn't planned because it happens pretty late in the series. And then in the middle of, yeah, one of your choreographed kaiju battles, one of the angels hits one of the characters with a weapon that just, yes – makes them begin to have a mental breakdown. Like, that's, it's a weapon, the the angels start deploying weaponized psychic mental breakdowns. And so all of a sudden, the show, which was previously about fighting robots, becomes very suddenly about, hey, how do you feel about the fact that, you know, your mother didn't want to hold you when you were a child? Do you think that's responsible for any of your personality quirks? And that's just the rest of the show. That rules. (laughs) I have so much more reason to go on now. (laughs) If if I ever finish JoJo's, or maybe if I take a break from JoJo's, I'll I'll, I'll get to that because, um, yeah, like I, I I always liked it fine. I got I got tired of just the back and forth fights, and now uh, there's a light for me. <laughs> so thank you, Kyle. <laughs> Let's not even talk about the show this week. Let's just get into anime we like. This is this is our first of. This is our preview of bonus content that we may eventually release where we just talk about things we enjoy. Um, I actually do have an idea. So I wanted to pitch you on some bonus. Not We won't make this the whole episode now because that would belabor the point. But, well, no, I'll bring it up at the end. I'll wait. Oh, all right. Oh, I'm in suspense now. All right. Now, okay, let's get started then. So, yeah, uh, like I mentioned, we watch this TV show sometimes. And uh, the episode we watched this week was season six episode 20 with another very on the nose uh give up kind of title which is the tenure turbulence again we're not playing the title game anymore it just disappoints me that at some point the writers were like who are we fooling you know no one no one's gonna get the joke if we even make the joke so it's just literal descriptions from now on yes um so, and also, I'm officially... Yeah, I en- like the idea that someone was like, hey, you know what? You're showing too much creativity in these title cards, buddies. <laughs> yeah. Well, you it's know... It's confusing the fan base. Well, yeah, not only that, but I... After today's episode, I really started to think, this is a lean, efficiently run ship. Like, and so I wonder if maybe someone, like, stepped in the writer's room and cracked a whip and is like, no one's looking at those titles. Get to work. <laughs> like... And, and and the reason um, I say that is, 
uh, I'm officially entering my my era of no more notes. I'm like, God, I've been taking this too seriously. Now we're just shooting from the hip, uh, which worked out really well for this episode because it is incredibly straightforward. There is no B-plot. It is just um, the beginning of the episode. It's the nerds are hanging out at the university cafeteria where uh, Kripke shows up. His hair is a mystery to me now. I, it looks somewhat silvery in some light, but dark in another. But either way, I find it a, a transfixing. Uh, so I guess I have a crush on Kripke now. Uh, I think that's because he was transitioned. There were in several other shows. He plays like, a, you know, basically he's like the dad, uh, you know, just like, you know, the, the stock father figure on a sure. couple of different shows and pilots. So he was probably this was either in the middle of that gig or as he was transitioning, like, no, this is my new thing. I am no longer like just the goofy side character. I am now like the silver fox put upon guy, well, although he still talks with that fucking voice. He sure does. But I mean, I am here for I don't think this term is used anymore. Uh, glow up at seeing him enter his Silver Fox era. Uh, that's not what the episode's about. Um, so the nerds are hanging out. Uh, they're talking about, oh, hey, there's this organism, a jellyfish, that can technically live forever, except for the times that it has to turn into slime. Someone's like, hey, speaking of slime, uh, you know uh, Professor Tupperman? I was going to call him Tupperware, joke in the episode. It's all I could remember. Uh, well... You know everyone is complaining about that smell coming from his office? Yeah, that's because he died two weeks ago. And he's just been kind of turning into a pool of himself. And so, like, I'm not objecting to this, but so many casual... Like, no one gives a shit about this man. No one knows him. And they're all like, uh, yeah, everyone's asking that you send uh, air freshener in lieu of flowers. And it's like, wow. Like... This is dark. Like, it's. I'm fine with it. I just didn't expect it. Um, but yeah, Kripke shows up and he's like, hey, uh, you're all just thinking about the smell. But guess what? That means there is a new tenured position open. Uh, and so guess what? The whole episode is them, uh, the nerds, I mean, uh, having their independent conversations with their significance others about... Uh, how badly they want tenure and how they plan to get it. Uh, Wallowitz is excluded because he holds a measly master's degree, but as is later revealed, he is on the tenure committee, and so he gets great pleasure from watching them bicker. As for the individual conversations, unremarkable. <laughs> it's Sheldon and, uh, and uh, Amy, he's just like, I'm just going to rely on my intellect, and she's like, well, I, I should be there to support you because... I mean, it's implied that you're kind of an asshole, and I'm going to make a couple jokes about that this episode, and so you really need my my soft touch. And also, something notable, which uh, was really su surprising to me, is near the end of that scene, r there's a joke where Sheldon is kind of uh, complaining about how he, he really questions whether he likes the boyfriend-girlfriend dynamic, and how occasionally, in these moments where Amy obviously worships him, he, he's in favor of it. And Amy seems a little hurt. Um, but then, you know, she she suggests that she should come along to, to help him out in this this tenure battle. Which, by the way, is happening at the professor's memorial. They're all going to the, 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 dead, the dead professor. They're all going to his memorial specifically to schmooze with the tenure people. And um, Sheldon says something like, Oh, right. Yes, I just wanted you to give me a ride. But to the extent that, that you enjoy that or makes you happy, that's fine too. And Amy, well, dare I say not Amy, but Mayim Bialik seems to genuinely smile at this. It seems, I think it's the first sincere smile I've seen in six and a half years of this show. <laughs> it hit me like a knife. I was just like, whoa, she... She looks like she is having a nice time. She looks like she is charmed by this man beside her. What the fuck is happening right now? It's It seemed like a mistake. Like, that's not even the line that she should be happy about. He is still being rude and belittling her. And it feels like they should have cut before she smiled. But I'm just like, wow, this is real emotion bleeding through. Inappropriate emotion in the context of the scene. But I'm still there for it. Um, so anyway, I don't need to go nearly as long into the others. Uh, 
Raj is because he doesn't have his own partners having dinner with Wallowitz and Bernie. And he's just whining about how, oh, God, my parents who are incredibly wealthy spoil me, but not as much as I'd like. So I deserve tenure. And then uh, Leonard, similar to uh, Sheldon, is like, oh, I'm just going to let my work speak for itself. And Penny's like, hey, um, you should use my body. You should... (laughs) You should let me come to the thing, and I'll just look real good and act kind of like fun and horny, and all of your pervy old tenure people will be so overwhelmed by it that they're your shoo-in. And uh, so it gets to the evening of where they do all confront each other just outside of this memorial service. They never go in. You never see in, which I will say, part of that trim budget. As This episode, I was like, for a lot of people theoretically being around there are never more than our principals and one or two guests on screen <laughs> like they they have no interest in extras not at not a fucking dollar more than they have to spend on sets uh so i don't know I, I guess props for that or whatever but so they all show up and um kripke shows up and he's like ah fuck you guys i'm, I'm schmoozing with uh janine or gene G- G- i can't remember if it's janine or Jeanette. The HR lady from several episodes ago to whom Sheldon was accidentally but openly racist. And they even, I think, maybe for the first time in the series, uh, have a flashback to that scene to remind you how racist he was. Um, which, if you hadn't seen that episode, would be incredibly bizarre because they don't <laughs> add a lot of context. And it's like, did they make this joke just for this episode? Why? Why did he have that very racist interaction? What's going on? So, anyway, guess what, everybody? He's back at it again because he tries to schmooze her and uh, just gives her the totally, you know, nonchalant, everyday gift of a DVD box set of Roots. Which, I do admit this was cute at the end of the interaction. So she's very upset. And she's, why do you think this is appropriate at all? And him, struggling with an answer, leans in and in a whisper asks her, You're black, right? And I was like, aw, Sheldon. Classic Sheldon. And uh, so, that's how that goes. Uh, And anyway, she's the reason she's on the tenure committee as well, which I don't really think makes any sense because she's an HR person. But hey, guess what? She gets to do it. And so, yeah, Kripke schmoozing her up, which is, side comment, I'll talk more about this lady later. Kripke, terrible bad guy. Not, like, because he's a bad actor or bad at the role or anything, but, like, there's not really anything particularly unlikable about him. Like, he seems totally fine. And so when he's, like, razzing these guys because he's schmoozing in his own way, I'm like, yeah, good for him. Like, who cares? He's fine. Um, so anyway, they're outside the memorial service. They're having their confrontation. Uh, they all are like, hey, these fights aren't worth it because regardless of who gets tenure, you know, our friendships are more important. And in what I thought was a genuinely good joke, uh, Sheldon is like, Amy, I don't know what I should do. And she says, hey, you're always going to have academic opportunities. I don't know that you're ever going to make more friends. And that was good. And so they go in. Episode is essentially over. What is our stinger is uh, Sheldon um, apparently learning that he has been recommended to the shortlist for tenure, goes back to see uh, HR Lady Jean and uh, offers an apology and uh, a gift. Well, I don't know. There wasn't a gift that time, was there? Because she's relieved there's no gift. He extends a sincere handshake and then turns it into like a big fun wacky handshake because he thinks that's appropriate and she's like well fuck this i'm just gonna pretend (laughs) that didn't happen but here's the here's the other thing about the episode is he's like thank you for recommending all three of us leonard raj and i for the 10-year shortlist and i'm like oh 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 so we're just dissolving conflict entirely the the episode wasn't really about anything anymore because they're, they're no longer are they fighting for the one position, but they've all been added to the you're, you're probably going to make it list. And I bet by next episode, it's going to be forgotten again. Like some oh. other rando will have gotten tenure in the whole like, God, you know, I, I know that there needs to be soft resets in between episodes so you can jump in and out. But f- fuck that. Fuck. That. What a what a fucking limp ending. Oof. 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 Three out of ten. So, Kyle, how do you feel? That's our episode. <laughs> uh, 
So, and add anything little... I forgot, of course. No, you got you got basically everything. I will say, Jim. I, I'm being. I know I'm always too hard on the guy, but Jim Parsons just does a little too good. At, like he's not a very. How do I put this? I don't think he's a very good actor generally. He's a little too convincing as someone who doesn't know what racism is. And it makes me uncomfortable every time he does the Sheldon just doesn't understand that he's racist thing. Because I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. And, well, you know, I think it's another one of those things where it doesn't really make sense. that he. Well, I mean, I guess you could attribute it to his upbringing, but... That's never really how it plays out. It always seems to be sheer ignorance. Yeah, where... he's from Texas. Really? You're telling me he's never encountered? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, what if? What if it's sinister? What if he knows exactly what he's doing? <laughs> what if he's like, oh, they'll never suspect me. Oh, hapless Sheldon. I just go from interaction to interaction without uh, without motive uh, because I, I do not understand the parameters of these interactions. But really, I'm a virulent racist. I hate... I, I, I have Raj here because of the way he allows us to mock him openly. And he thinks he's our friend. <laughs> oh, my little scheme pays off every moment he's here. I don't know if that's actually happening, but what if? <laughs> yes. So, like I said, he's probably a good guy. Did you know he's gay? Not Sheldon, but Jim Par- That's probably something that, like... I did know that, yes. Yeah, I had no idea. I only mention it because I saw him giving an interview to, I think, Conan O'Brien or someone about, uh, you know, the time he met his boyfriend. And it was actually, uh, it was actually a pretty charming interview. Uh, I, I can't. Okay. Go ahead. Well, I, was just gonna, I can't remember how I learned it. It was either, you know, in some sort of advocacy piece where it's like, hey, you know, here, like important gay community members you weren't even aware were gay and it came up there or i think maybe i inferred it because he started appearing in advertisements and was allowed to wear fun suits and i was like hmm he's looking good suspiciously good (laughs) yes that uh that could be right who knows Um, anyway so uh so uh I am dating someone who left academia because they found it too shitty. Just absolutely too shitty an environment to work in. So I have heard a lot pretty recently uh, about just how toxic uh, academic culture and particularly uh, because all academic culture revolves around the quest for tenure. So Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of real insider gossip around that and so in that context i think i actually found this episode funnier uh in fact funny enough that i sent a couple of different uh quotes to to my partner because it was just like i knew they would appreciate it so um like particularly the thing you were like at the beginning where it's like he's dead he's been seeking up this office oh that's terrible uh, who cares about that there's a new tenured position open boys uh and so, uh, but my two favorite lines in the episode around, along a similar theme in reverse order is when Penny's offering to flirt with them, uh, Leonard is like, if they're a bunch of old white men, uh, or, you know, they're very old. If you flirt with them, they could all have heart attacks and die. And she's just like, great, then you all get tenure. Which yes, is, that again, was a very good Penny line. But not as good. The best line is is when explaining to her how tenure works. Leonard goes, yeah, it's it's uh, well, we don't actually see him explain it, but she's repeating it back to him. It's the iced tea thing from uh, uh, Law and Order. It's like, so wait, you're telling me tenure is just a job you have where uh, where you can never be fired, no matter how many people hate you or or not how, how bad you people, are at it, or how bad you are at it, and how much everybody knows you're bad at your job. He's like, yeah, and she goes, like, wow, sounds a lot like being the pretty waitress at a cheesecake factory. I was like, that's the best joke I've heard on the Big Bang Theory in quite some time. Yeah, I want to say overall, Penny killing it in this episode has her funny goofs. And something I I, I failed to mention during the summary is I said she she told Leonard that, you know, she should dress up all or all horny for the old men. Uh, and then she does follow through. She she's not, uh, you know, like like super like skimpy or whatever. But she is she's in, you know. 
uh, a, a very form-fitting black dress with no, and uh, they make, boobs they... pushed all the way out. <laughs> yeah, and they have to do that thing, which I know is just part of the, like, it's part of being an actress. It's part of the job. I, well, I don't know why I'm making excuses. I, th- I think it's a little fucked up is what I'm saying. But they do that thing where it's like Raj, like, basically has to stare at her uh, boobs for like a full 10 seconds like in the episode and it's played as a laugh and it is, you know, it's pretty funny, but you just have to think that in order to shoot that scene, they were just standing there on set, you know, cameras out being like, okay. And when I say action, you're going to start staring at, uh, what's her name? Kaylee Cuoco. Yeah. Uh, you're going to stare at Kaylee Cuoco's best just with unabashed, not even lo- Raj. We want you to, I know he has a name. I don't know the actor's name. I'm sorry. I should, I should know all of their names by now. We've been doing this however many fucking years, but I still only know Jim Parsons and Kaylee Cuoco. Uh, but um, well, I, I, I need to interject here. Cause Kyle, while I understand that you ethically and morally are 100% in the right here, uh, this is probably one of the least uncomfortable things. Uh, a pretty actress, has been asked to do for for their work. Like I know that that's true, but also this you know this wasn't like in 1985 or whatever. This was like you know this episode was shot like four years ago or something like that. So it's just like I say action, and you will stare at her breasts with not even not even lust. I unrestrained hunger is what we're going for here. Just sheer sheer animal, uh, you know, bordering on rage. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't. Now, now you're freaking me out, Kyle. This is I. I, I have to correct the right. Raj looks over, yes, hungrily, looks ahead, and then cannot resist but look back again. It is about a three second exchange. Yes, he does openly lust after her. This is correct. Just, but <laughs> how much money do you want to bet that Raj has one of those incel accounts on Reddit? where he's like on one of the black pill sub forums and he talks about how his oh. nerdy neighbor has taken the hot girl God, or uh, you just, more you... likely how the, his hot neighbor, the hot girl is using his, his nerdy friend for whatever, but will eventually uh, discard him for an alpha male. You just made me remember <laughs> that I even know what the word black pilled means. And I hate that. I just now wished that I had an aneurysm. Like if I, if if there were a god, like I would think of the phrase or the word black pill, and that part of my brain would explode and just be gone forever. I don't care what the collateral damage is. I don't care if there are loved ones whose faces I can never recognize. If the amount of time I've spent on the internet that you can say the word black pill, then I'm like, oh, I know what he's talking about. I just want it out. I want it gone. <laughs> like, well, I do, I do apologize for that. Anyway, you didn't I do didn't... anything wrong, all right? Society did. <laughs> it's, it's, we, we all collectively did a bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't mean to get us that far off on a tangent. I just meant to say it's sort of a weird, uh, a weird not great moment uh, in the episode to think about the actual ramifications of filming. Uh, but even more than that, uh, yeah, just tenure sucks. It's a stupid thing. It's a horrible institution. Uh, we should get rid of it. You know, right now, well, it may have been resolved by now, but last uh, at the end of last uh, semester, all of the UCLA adjuncts went on strike. I, I heard about this. You know, because they'd, their conditions of work had gotten so appalling. So, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, go ahead. Oh, let's get leading up to that, like not – really at all being involved in academia just from my twitter i'd heard about uh adjuncts grad students etc uh complaining about how they'd go to these you know faculty mixers or whatever and they'd be given uh help and instructions on how to apply for food stamps and how to use local food pantries and things like that (laughs) it's terrible it's like they do 90 it's terrible i mean it is realistic in this episode that these guys would all be up for tenure because they're the ones who do the research. But it, the, one of the weird things about about higher education is when you think of what a professor's job is to do, you would think, oh, a professor's job is to teach college kids. And it's like, oh, no, 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 one, no one gives a shit about, you know, uh, teaching college kids when you're a uh, when you're a tenured um, when you're 
looking at academic accomplishment that job is the job we farm out to the adjuncts and we pay them like five thousand dollars a year to teach like you know a full course and then uh and then all of the work you know yeah and so the actual work that we think of the job of college is being for is being farmed out to this underclass and then it's not really the professor's faults necessarily it's just they're sort of the recipients of this system that uh is fucked up but um yeah the 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 people who actually get tenure it's almost always a combination of uh uh you know, publishing and just gross nepotism of the sort that actually, you know, there was this, I don't know if you heard about this, Nick, but there was this huge paper in, uh, or in this article that came out in like one of the Hollywood magazines that was like, here's a list of all of these actors who never acknowledge it, but they're all oh, the Nepo babies. Yes. They're all, they're all just conveniently the sons and daughters of other famous actors. Isn't it weird that now they are famous actors and, Right. Let me tell you, those people did not like having that written about them because um, it sort of reveals something flagrantly corrupt about the whole system. Well, but we sort of expect that from Hollywood, right? I'm sorry. I'm going off. I don't know when I be- this became like – Hey, Kyle's- at, at the start of the show, I said, we don't even like the show that we talk about. So please go on. <laughs> I was, I'm just going to – this will be my last point is we sort of expect Hollywood to be you know, bullshit and corrupt. But they did a study once where they looked at how likely – what the number one determining factor that of becoming a like how to predict uh success in academia and particularly how likely you were to uh become uh, a tenure track professor and one of the if it wasn't like number one it was like the number two leading thing was if one of one or both of your parents is a tenured professor that is like the number one thing that creates the conditions for you to become a tenured professor I don't know if things are this bad anymore. This doesn't have to do with tenuring, just admissions. Um, and I, I was about to say, I don't know if things are as bad as it were at the time that GFK penned his admissions letter to Harvard. At least I believe it was Harvard. Where, for anyone unfamiliar with the application process uh, to to higher education, you always got to give some sort of fucking bullshit personal essay about either like things you've overcome or your accomplishments or whatever it's stupid and apparently it even existed at the time when uh when jfk was applying and his admissions essay was I, I mean, well at jfk john fitzgerald kennedy future president of the united states yes yes and, and his essay was basically well my father went here and i've always considered myself a harvard man It'd be really great if you let me into this university Signed JFK. <laughs> like yeah. that was it's crazy. Like and I I had no ambitions with my own university education. I I went to the school that was closest to me until I couldn't take it anymore, and then I went to the next closest school after that. So that's about how much thought and effort went into my planning. But to think about uh the grueling process that most people have to go through to do something like that. But there is absolutely a class of people to which it is uh, readily handed and for whom they are greedy to maintain their their insular positions. It's ugh, yucky. So, yeah, anyway. this fucking TV show, I guess. Tell them the hard truths about, about the dirty system. Yeah, I, yeah, it's just I think um, to, to get even further removed and I'll, I'll get more vague so I don't go on a rant myself. But like talking with a friend uh, just about work stuff who lives, who who works in the private sector, where for most of my law career, I've been a, a public sector do-gooder. And, and we're talking about our own um, frustrations with management, etc. And we're both like, yeah, public or private, it's just assholes all the way, isn't it? It's just like, it's like people just doing their best to cling to what little worth they have and trying to prevent anyone else that they they don't uh who doesn't immediately benefit them from getting anywhere <laughs> it's like oh, oh, god look what this episode's done to us it's we were we were ready to have a good time with Leonard and Raj at the gang by the way i also you know where where i was this episode i i found Jim Parsons on his game such that 
that my Bialik couldn't help but grin and where I really thought Penny was doing her best. Every time Johnny Galecki talks, that's Leonard, I'm like, fuck, I hate this guy so much. <laughs> like, ah. Oh. oh, that's another one. I used to remember his name, and now I can't anymore. Yeah, and I don't think it's just because of the show, but, like, anytime I see him anywhere else, I'm I'm just like, ah, I don't know what it is. It's like, he, he, and hey, you know what? It's it's not cool to comment on people's bodies, so skip the next 30 seconds if that makes you <laughs> uncomfortable. But his face looks like you took someone that should be handsome, and you, like, pasted it onto, like, a Nintendo 64 GoldenEye model. Like, his his head is too round for, like, what his face would benefit from. And, ah, uh, I just, I, I hate him. And I, I, ooh, it, I, ugh, it's not fair. I'm sure there are people out there that look at him and they're like, oh, my old boy Leonard, I love him. I love his hijinks. But, oh, I just, everything about him bothers me. And so, you know, maybe someday he will do something that wins me over and I will, I will turn a new leaf. But it wasn't this episode. And actually, that's reminds me something I want to elaborate a bit on, um, I mentioned Kripke. Uh, what, like, he, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure if I could say he shouldn't be a part of the show. Because, like I said, he's not bad. But as far as, like, being any sort of antagonist goes, like, the show has done nothing to actually make him dislikable. Other than that he is snarky. But he's snarky to this group of assholes who all, like, reject him for no reason. And, like, the only joke about him still is that he's got that speech impediment, lisp, whatever you want to call it, where, you know, his his L's and R's come out as W's, and that's it. That's his whole fucking gimmick. He doesn't have any other character quirks. He doesn't have any weird schemes that he's ever trying to, like, work against the gang. He He's just a, he's just a fucking dude. Well, no, it's, it's literally, it's only the fact that his goals and the, like... If he gets what he wants, then they can't have what they want. But, like, not even because there's anything wrong with, like, yeah, there's, like, basically, it's not like he is morally inferior to them. It's just like, oh, hey, they want a thing. He also wants that thing. Only one of them can get it, but we're on team these guys. Yeah, who, by the the way, all get it. Yeah. (laughs) Kripke, not an obstacle. It's, ugh. I don't, like, I, he has me, um, Oh, I, I I remember her name specifically to bring her up, and I'm forgetting her again. But the the early horny character that uh, was very callously boning Leonard, oh, how yeah. like even she Leslie Winkle. Thank wow. you. Yes, Leslie Winkle. God, that's incredible. So she also not in any way a villain, but like even potentially more dislikable for the way that she disregarded Leonard's feelings, like. She theoretically has more beef than Kripke has with any of these people, and she's she's long gone. She was so much fun, uh, and then they just they got rid of her like they get rid of anywhere else. By the way, is Kate Micucci gonna come back? Where's Raj's new girlfriend, or is she gone too? What happens to the women on this show? I knocked my microphone over. <laughs> You don't want to know. I have a feeling what happens to the women on this show is one of those things where, like, if you knew the answer, it would it would drive you insane. So it's better not to ask. Yeah. I know that Kate Micucci had to go through the terrible fate of being part of a novelty music duo. I don't know what became of all the others. <laughs> hey, I love Hall & Oates. Fuck you. I say nothing negative. songs. <laughs> I say nothing negative of Hall and Oates, but I'm saying as far as careers go, that's not a long one unless your name is Al. That's like, oh, and he's not, he's not allowed to do either, but um, yeah. <sighs> so, I don't know. Anything else about the episode? Like, I, I don't feel as defeated as I usually do because I feel like I at least had enough things to complain about this time, but I, don't, I, I feel All satisfied. Right. All right. Well, as long as you're satisfied, Nick. Yeah. Let's move on. Well, hey, thank goodness. You know, very, very low-ranking episode, but, you know, I, God, I I just love having shit to complain about, and I forget it sometimes. Uh, Thank you for at least being interesting this episode. That's right. Yeah, in making us think of other things that we're upset about when we're not watching the show, like Academia. Yeah, maybe Um, they can do an episode on, like, I don't, well, I was going to say, they could do an episode on slavery, but then I guess they got that one in this episode, too. Yeah, yeah, just in case you forgot. 
Um, all right. Well, now let us clumsily transition to that part of the episode that we and everyone else likes a lot more than the first half, where we talk about things we actually enjoy. Guess what? Um, 99% of minor video game recommendations, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a child... Uh, Kyle's probably going to give you more varied stuff. What's going to happen this week? Shall I go first or shall you, Kyle? Feel free to go first. All right, guess what? It's a video game recommendation. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> so, <laughs> Kyle recommended to me um, a, a tactical, top-down uh, strategy RPG uh, a week or so ago, which I, I will probably recommend some other day. But coincidentally, I ended up getting the flu and being uh, pretty miserable for the, the week after. I got like three hours into this game, and then I was like, you know what? If I know that I've just got time and my body is, isn't going to be here, I, I, it's about time I finally replay Final Fantasy XII. Which um, I am recommending, in spite of being the Final Fantasy that broke me. <laughs> um I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast before as much as I talk about Final Fantasy, which is bizarre. So this was back. This game came out when I was still a 100% like clapping my hands, can't get enough of it Final Fantasy fanboy. And Right, because uh, you've often said that like 11 doesn't count because it was an MMORPG, and you've often said that 10 is like your favorite one in the series. So. Yes, 10 is my favorite. 12, I will say, regardless of my personal feelings, is the last good one (laughs) like it's the last one where i look at it and i'm like you know that's a game that's worth playing (laughs) and that's that's harsh but um that's 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 i guess that's hey sometimes sometimes the truth is harsh but anyway yeah i i I pre-ordered that shit i was working at best buy at the time and so i was i worked at the place i pre-ordered it so i knew exactly when it was going to come in and be in my hot little hands it was released around halloween so i was dressed as abe lincoln the day i was working and i remember going home on the bus with my fresh hot copy of final fantasy 12 and everyone's like why is he dressed as abe lincoln he's like 27 and i'm like hey mind your own business i'm having a good time actually i guess i was like 23 but anyway um and then i i I played it, and it, uh, looking back, what I can say about it is it was very much ahead of its time, for for better and for worse, because I think following Final Fantasy XI, Square was like, you know what, the people want MMOs, but not so much that they want an actual MMO, so let's give them a single-player RPG that is essentially an MMO, uh, and that's what they did, and it's fine. Some the, the 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 good parts about it are that, boy, I'm about to start with something real dorky, is the gambit system, which is also one of the biggest problems with the game. Which is that, in in this game, though you can individually control each of your party members, it's not really how it's meant to be played. Instead, you have this system of gambits aka macros aka commands little programs and you have up to 12 of these for any character and the idea is that and this is an objectively bad part of the game that i'm frustrated they didn't fix upon re-release is each of these commands first you have to buy them and they're super cheap but it also means that you're hanging out in a shop for like 10 minutes just clicking buy 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 for this thing that you're going to have for the entire rest of the game and without more thought and put into it should have just been all lock- unlocked at the get go and so you 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 put these on your character and like i said you can still individually command them but you can also have them um attack the nearest enemy you can have them use an elemental spell on a particular weakness um, you can have them use an item if your or another character or an enemy's HP or MP is above or below a certain threshold. So it's pre- it actually gives you a lot of freedom to do this, like with pretty simple commands. Um, but the, the problem, which is actually less of a problem for me now that I'm playing it than it was at the time, is if you do that well, the game plays itself. You might need to chip in every now and then for a boss fight. Uh, but most of the time running around the world, if your characters are programmed well, they're going to handle everything around them. And so you're basically watching a game play this self. And it's compounded with um, another issue, which is that 
the story, the big story, isn't exactly about your characters. <laughs> and so there's this big thing. It's it's semi-complicated, but, you know, political intrigue is the plot of Final Fantasy XII. And so there's twists and turns regarding senates and emperors of different nations and other political actors, and your characters are none of those. And so uh, your one of your main characters is a princess who is trying to unite the nation, and your goal is basically to get all the proof that she needs to make the most spectacular announcement that she is indeed the princess. Otherwise... Everything just happens around you. And so you're running from location to location. And then you'll be like, oh, did you hear so-and-so died? That's going to change the politics of the nation. And you're like, okay, whatever. We're just fucking hanging out killing wolves and eating sandwiches. But I guess on to the next town, am I right? Um, and so anyway, I'm, I, I, I'm complaining about all of this. But at the same time, the reason I'm recommending it and the reason I'm saying it's ahead of its time is that like this is what RPGs are now. Like, Xenoblade Chronicles, those games that I do in fact love, like, what they do right is they take 12 automatic commands and they say, hey, everybody gets three, okay? Let's keep it simple. They're going to do three things over and over again. If you want to change them, you have to be more involved. And you can push buttons, but, you know, you get three things, but you're going to have these big sprawling worlds and you're just running around forever and it's going to take a billion hours. Oh, and I... I forgot to mention how Final Fantasy XII broke me is all of this running around and doing nothing was something that I was not accustomed to. And it was the reason that I avoided MMOs. And so by the time I played Final Fantasy, finished Final Fantasy XII, one of my favorite ever franchises in my entire life that I was a shameless fanboy of, I remember blasting through the ending and skipping all the cutscenes and being like, I just want to finish it so I can finish it. And then I did. And then I took every single one of my Square Enix video games and I sold them back to GameStop and I said I'm closing this chapter of my life <laughs> um, didn't hold but yeah I started playing other games but I look back and like Final Fantasy 12 as an adult I can be like oh no like it was it was a premonition like it it didn't have things nailed down I think maybe it just doesn't give you like enough random shit to do so you forget that you're like exploring these because I guess a big problem is you have these huge sweeping landscapes and they're really, really cool, but there's not a lot in them. Like, an area of the game I got to pretty recently, it's the Fawn Coast, and it has like nine different areas on it that comprise one whole map. And you can go to all nine of those, and what you're going to find are nine various beach plane areas that have random enemies running around. Not Nothing else. There's going to be one area that has NPCs you can talk to. And so, it's kind of like they just hadn't figured out how to flesh it out yet. They were, it was too close to an MMO. And now when I play these other anime RPGs that I've apparently never given up on, that it's, it's a bit more refined. And so I'm recommending it because looking back, I'm like, Oh, the things I used to hate about this game, I now have come to expect and can appreciate in a different way. <laughs> so yeah. Final Fantasy 12, obviously complicated feelings about also, um, we're talking about Japanese creators having mental breakdowns uh, at the the Surrey episode, and that's because that's what happened in this game. It was uh, the, the 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 original director they they brought in because they're like, hey man, we love what you did on these Tactics Ogre games. We think it's rad. We think you're a fresh, cool voice that's really going to contribute to Final Fantasy world. You know, we're going to give you carte blanche. You want it to be in the goofy Ivelisse like Final Fantasy Tactics world. A mainline game? Oh, go for it, man. You got it. You know, it's going to be fine. You're really going to love working for us, Square Enix. Uh, he didn't. Uh, and and uh, I, he got, like, I don't know, 60 or 70% of the way through uh, accomplishing this dream project before he, he totally just burnt out. I don't know. what. Oh, and also his name uh, is uh, Yasumi Matsuno. And... Yeah, nothing negative to say about him at all. Like, he is, he's a really uh, a rad guy and game maker. And uh, it was too much for him. It broke him. And so that's another weird thing about Final Fantasy Twelve is, like, it's not everything it was supposed to be. Like, at some point, someone else had to come in and be like, 
let's clean up the mess and put this out, which has kind of been every Final Fantasy game since. So anyway, that was way longer than I meant to go. But Final Fantasy twelve, maybe play it. I don't know. Oh, and also the the, the current version, the current version is significantly different. There's a le- lot less bullshit. I won't even go into all the bullshit, but there's less of it now. This is the Zodiac Rage, right? Yes. Which I do think is objectively better, because it comes with 15% less bullshit. So, if you want to look at the bullshit, you can do that on your own. So, I can't, I, you're right, we talked about that a long time, but I can't let it go. I have to say a couple of things. First off, Final Fantasy XII was the first Final Fantasy I ever actually, I think, beat. Not when it came out, by any means. No, no, no. But when the re-release came out on the Switch... Because uh, I have a tendency to start these games, get three quarters of the way through them, and be like, "Ah, I've played this enough." Um, mm, yeah, Do usually around too. the time. I mean, usually around the time that the difficulty curve ramps up from like you can just glide through the dungeons to like, no, now it's now you have to show like a deep understanding of the core mechanics of the game um, if you want to survive. And I'm always like, "Ah, I'm good. I'll just uh, play something else now." Um, anyway, but uh, I found yeah, I found the way. Um, on the Switch, it's great because all of the backtracking doesn't bother you as much if you're, like, sitting in a, you know, an airport. Or I think for me, I was, like, getting my car repaired or something. I was just, like, you know, so it didn't bother me trekking through the stuff. Uh, also, I found the repetitive nature of the gameplay where I didn't have to press any of the buttons incredibly, you know, soothing and meditative. Uh, I can see why it would drive Nick crazy. I think the missing – I think the component that sold it for me, though, is uh, – some of the some of the best background music in the series, and I want to be careful good. about that because I it's actually one of the first ones where Nobuo Uematsu uh, didn't do most of the music. I think, but it's just I think it has a couple of things going for it. One of the main ones being I think it's one of the first ones where most of the music was like the technology advanced to the point where you can actually hear the full orchestration. So when you're running around in the dunes and the soaring score is playing, it's really quite good, and it like it makes like. Even on an endless loop, you can just listen to it all day long, and it's great. Uh, oh, last things I was going to say about it. It has two things about it are forever stuck in my brain outside of the gameplay. Uh, the one being, uh, you know, they know their fan base because this was the first one where they gave you not only a sexy girl in her underwear, but the sexy girl in her oh, underwear is also friend. a bunny. Uh, I was trying to describe that to a friend the other day because I was like, you know, it doesn't make any sense. There's this race. They're only female. They, they're all tall slender women that wear lingerie armor in any other game they'd be elves right because they're like nature empaths who fight with bows they are essentially elves but but, but they're not because they're eared they're only ladies and they only wear lingerie armor no matter where they are in the world they're called Vieira. You find a Vieira on the other side of the globe, and she's like, "I they, they just don't have any other clothes I can wear. All I, I this sexy nighty with a bunny tail is my only garment." <laughs> yeah, so I'm not complaining though, am I right? <laughs> I recently, I recently gave that game to my uh, to my nephew because I I hand down a bunch of my Switch games to him, and I thought about telling his mom like, "You should know." There's one thing that might come up about this, but then I reasoned, "Eh, he's actually gonna get bored with." this game before he gets to the bunny girls so i probably don't have to worry about it but uh the other thing is forever seared in my brain would be this is the one where you get to see a chocobo trample a human being to death (laughs) yeah well that's that's the stuff i really like about it is it's like it's not grim in any way but like i think the stuff that i that really works about that whole evil east world is it has like a, a very it's still fantasy but it's also like has has a lot to do with very matter of fact dealings of medieval life, which is yeah, no, yeah some it's, rich it's guys. It's, going it's to... a weird. It's like it's like Game of Thrones with Muppets or something. It's very, it's very strange that way. But yeah, like you said, not necessarily bad. Although it's still like I can't actually. I know that at the end of that game, it still turns out that this is all a you know. There's some cosmic gods celestial pantheon thing that you have to. Of you course, know, overcome like every Final Fantasy, and I cannot, could not, if you put a gun to my head, explain how you get from like the political 
whatever to like the cosmic pantheon stuff i don't think it actually makes sense i'm pretty sure it's it, much like kingdom hearts it's one of those things where if you're sufficiently a nerd and that deep in the paint you can reason your way backwards from what happens in the game to what the metaphysics of the plot are supposed to be but they they don't actually there's no like straight line from a to b in that game that that's another like real turning point game for me because the first one i was like oh my god this is incredible everything i could have i love it and then i finished the second one as like I think I'm too old for this. Like, See, I, don't... I even like the second one, but but all of the all of the ones the side ones that came out after that are to and the third one is just soul crushingly boring. Um, and yes, because it's obviously designed for children. It's like these games come out 15 years apart yet tell a continuous story. Why would you make the third one, the third main in the franchise, so blatantly designed for people who weren't alive when the first one came out? Uh, I don't understand. And then we, like, uh, so we won't, on another day, queue up my whole Kingdom Hearts 3 is bullshit. Well, that, that series also is, like, number one offender for over-promising on what it eventually delivered. And, you know, were I God, every entry on it would be a crime I got to read against Tetsuya Nomura, so... But I'm not. But he's anyway. anyway. I should probably get to my recommendation if we ever want to. (sighs) Audience ever wants to get out of here. Uh, Two things first. Without getting too uh, into it now, I've started replaying The Witcher Three on the PS5 because they did a graphical update, and apparently I will never not play The Witcher Three when you give me an excuse. Uh, I'm jealous. Yeah. So I am. I am. That game is my Stardew Valley, I guess, or my, uh, in that I just, or whatever. It's just, it's the one game where when Nick talks about his weird propensity to revisit games, he's already 100%ed again. I'm like, I could never do that unless we're talking about The Witcher 3, which I am now replaying. So I would like to propose, not today, but I think one of our, our first bonus episode should just be us talking about The Witcher 3. Uh, a game which we both love unabashedly and could probably talk about for 30 minutes pretty easily. Huh? Okay. We can do that. Yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. Because that, so that game, um, I remember, uh, like, I, I still have fond memories of what I would also still describe as breathtaking vistas. Yes. And it's it's even better in, in the new version. Uh, I will say, we'll have to wait because... Here's the deeply ironic part. As much as I love that game, still never played the expansion packs, which many people say are like the icing on top of the cake. So okay, 50 my... 50. Hearts of Stone could take it or leave it. But uh, I can't remember the next one. The Blood, Blood and, and Wine. Oh, oh, God, it rule. Oh, oh, fuck it. We'll get, so I will finally. That's my. That's my. This is the way I'm excusing myself spending another hundred hours playing this game for the third time. Is is uh, now I will finally have. I will really appreciate that epilogue of Blood and Wine when I finally get to it, having played the main game forty times, like for four hundred hours at this point. Uh, anyway, and then we will talk about it on the podcast, and, and I can finally it, exercise it from my brain. And if you start playing Blood and Wine, and you're like, ah, yes, another classic five-hour spinoff. You, you're wrong. It is like a whole other game, almost. Like, be prepared. I'm excited. <laughs> uh, okay, but that's not my recommendation. My recommendation for the week. Uh, I will give a little bit of backstory. Oh man, this is turning into. This should have been, just been the episode. <laughs> We're gonna spend more time talking about our nerd things than we did. That. Well, we do that a lot. Anyway, um, so in recent news, uh, the. Corporation behind Dungeons and Dragons, Wizard of the Coast, um, and even more, their parent company Hasbro has sent out some signs that they're probably on the verge of ruining the experience of of uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons. We can't know for sure yet. It's just not looking great. Hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't want to be one of those. Uh, you know. I don't even know what you call them, but one of those people who just insists that any change to something that I like is obviously going to destroy it. Uh, but this isn't like, you know, they're adding, you know, people of color or something like that. This is like basically the CEO of Hasbro was in a shareholder meeting and he was like, yeah, D&D is great and it's more popular than it's ever been. And we weren't really expecting it, but it is awesome that we have this franchise that we've 
you know, now own that is quickly becoming our most valuable property, maybe even more valuable than Magic the Gathering, which has basically been a license to print money for the last, uh, you know, 20 years. Speaking of a license to print money, though, the one thing we don't like about D&D is the people who play it don't seem to be paying us enough money to pay it. So we're going to be looking for new opportunities uh, to correct that because we feel like D&D as it is is under monetized was the word that they used. So they've been Aww. right. So they've been uh, they've introduced a new. Uh, they're making a new version of the game. Uh, it's not quite a new edition uh, because they don't want to scare away all the people who really like Five E. So it will be probably like ninety nine percent playable from uh, out of the Five E book. But they are going to make some like slight rule changes here and there that they're currently playing around and playtesting with. Uh, and that's all fine. Like I totally support them to do that. But on top of that, they're they seem to be pivoting the um, the experience of actually playing the game away from like you buy a book and you play it out of the book with your friends to like we have a fancy app that you pay a subscription for and all of the content is border is kind of live servicey and sure third party people can uh, can still make stuff for this. Uh, but some of them, but you know, some of them are going to owe us royalties, and we're not going to be very clear about how our royalty policy works at this time because we haven't actually made up our minds yet. Yeah. So I suspect that as the pressure mounts on this, people are going to start looking for other things uh, that are like D and D five e. I mean, the good thing about it is if you have all the old books already, you can just keep playing it forever. It's fine. Uh, and well, I not. Being as involved, I I wonder slash hope if it will have enough backlash that they'll have to be like, all right, here's the classic version that you all want. You know, squeeze money out of that way, but maybe not force people into live service. Uh, Live service is a plague. Uh, Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, like I said, I would be surprised if they could get away with it um, as angry as it makes people. But you never you never know. Uh, but anyway, so I thought I would recommend if uh, if the future of D&D becomes uh, just sort of soul-searingly corporate, uh, some alternatives. And, you know, I could recommend – so here's the shitty thing. The most, the most obvious alternative to 5e is probably Pathfinder. But if the people who make Wizards of the Coast are bad, the people apparently who make Pathfinder are monsters. So oh. <laughs> uh, I won't get into it. But, uh, yeah, they had their own – uh, and again, it's not it ha- it's not like they're Nazis or anything. It's just like you know they're incredibly exploitative of like the actual staff who makes the product. Um, uh, so wouldn't be necessarily spending your dollars best there either. So instead, I will recommend this this uh, game that I've got tabletop role playing game that I've gotten really into lately uh, called the Cipher System, or if you want a slightly more straightforward D and D, we'll call it Numenera. So Numenera is a game that was created by a guy named Monty Cook. So Monty Cook is like one of the is like an uh, he's not OG, but he was like uh, one of the great D and D developers and writers of like it's bridging the TSR era and the 3.0 era of D and D. So he created um, a lot of the Planescape adventures, which are pretty rad. And some other stuff. And he's made a bunch of other games, too. But he did a lot of really great work on Dungeons & Dragons. And then decided he wanted to do his own stuff. uh, And open his own game uh, publisher called Monty Cook Games. And so around the same time uh, that 5e was kicking off and becoming more successful, he was looking for his own. uh, Because his main thing is obviously he likes writing adventures. um, Writing and creating cool like game design like scenarios and things like that he's not as much of a mechanics wonk uh but he wanted to come up with a system that would basically be adaptable to any of the weird like adventures or narratives uh that he would come up with so he he with some other people created this really cool system called the cypher system which plays pretty like it's it doesn't like when you get down really deep into the rules it doesn't play a lot like Dungeons and Dragons, but plays enough like it that if you can understand the rules to uh, 5th edition, that actually learning the rules to play the Cypher system will be easier because the whole thing revolves around um, sort of a streamlined D20 system where everything, 
everything comes down to like you know one dice roll versus one number with the player always rolling the dice so compared to uh like anyone who's played dungeons and dragons it's like usually you roll the dice and then you add some modifiers that your character has uh that change like how high the number you rolled on the dice was and you compare that to an enemy number and you see if you did it and then every time you try to do something it's a different number in this system it's like no there's a fixed number uh and then depending on what your character is like good at that number itself will be higher is modified to be higher or lower and then you just roll a d20 and you either beat the number or you didn't and it's it's actually even more intuitive than that. And the other thing that's fun is the DM never rolls, so you both roll to attack, <laughs> and then you know. So basically, you when you're on offense, you're rolling to hit, and then when you're on defense, you're rolling to see if you can dodge the attack, which makes things like, uh, like he said, they mostly just did that because they discovered that the players would rather roll to see if they get hit than roll than have the DM roll against them to hit. And it's like one of those simple things that's like obvious when you say it and very easy to implement, but no one else had implemented the, it. The before. DM Gaming Commission does not approve of this change. It does not approve of this system, by the way. Hey, we need like stronger it. representation out there to make all of our shady little rolls, all of our cryptic little fudges. I like it. I think, and again, the whole like point of this is like it's designed to be more collaborative. Like it's basically, it's still the DM has a lot, but it's like game design is a lot. The DM is mostly responsible for like you know setting the narrative and doing the world building and like deciding what cool stuff people find, and then the you know the players get to play around with their characters and do whatever nonsense they want and steer the game wherever they want. And because the system is sort of, I don't even know the right word, streamlined, I guess. Uh, it's really easy to just like pivot and alter encounters on the fly and introduce new systems, which by the way, the reason it's called the cipher system is because his big, the thing that the guy creating it likes most about D and D, which is actually not a major part of most modern D and D is the part where you find cool magic shit in a dungeon. Uh, so he basically made that like the central component of the game. So you play as, you know, mid-tier characters who get a little stronger along the way based from like learning and experience, but just like everywhere and at all times, they're constantly just fine. Like you're encouraged to give your players just like constant new magic items that are one use only. So it's like, it's like everywhere you go, you're finding cool, absurd equipment that you can use like once and then it disappears or breaks or whatever and you you find new shit that gives you new powers. And so your character is good at stuff inherent. So unlike, which again, this used to be how most dungeon, like people don't realize this if you've only ever played 5e because um, almost everything that's cool about your character is embedded in like your class and your ancestry and how you level up. But in like old school D&D, your character was a pretty simple, squishy dude that got a little stronger as he leveled up. And everything that was cool about him was like what you found in dungeons, you know, a badass sword or magic boots or whatever. So this is just like a much more extreme version of that. Your characters are like more customizable, but like the really cool stuff that they can do is usually just like a question of like, well, what weird artifacts and stuff are lying around in the world that you've created together? And so, yeah, I really like that about it. And so, like, the there are all sorts of different settings that he's created for this game. Uh, it, you know, sci-fi and superhero and time travel with dinosaurs. Uh, but the one that was originally created, which was supposed to be, like, the default D&D-style setting, is called Numenera. And Numenera basically takes place, like, thousands of years into the future where society reached incredible levels of technological advancement and then collapsed. So you play characters who are, you know, wandering around in a quasi-medieval setting filled with wonder because lying all around you are all of these ciphers that are basically incredibly technologically advanced artifacts that you can figure out how to use but not how to make. So... Uh, you nice. know, in, so instead of having, so, I mean, and it's, it's ba- again, it's basically magic, right? But instead of having a, you know, uh, a bag of holding, you have some weird interdimensional artifact that quantum shrinking ray thing that you find and you're like, I don't know what it does. I don't know who, ma- like how we used to be able to make this and why we can't now. But, uh, but you know, I know that it lights up and glows and does whatever. So I like it a lot and I would recommend, and the, again, I would recommend anyone interested in like 
cool game design particularly if you have an idea like if if you're ever one of those people who's like playing fifth edition you're like man i have a really good idea for a setting like a world that a story that i want to tell with the players i just don't know how to like overhaul all of the classes and you know characters and world stuff so that it's more consistent with the idea i have in my head my advice would be particularly now that wizards of the coast uh, or and hasbro have announced that they're probably going to be bastards about this shit just learn how to use the cipher system and create your world in that because i guarantee you it's going to be easier and, and chances are players aren't going to notice the difference all right well and also so just to clarify the cipher system broadly applicable Numenera D&D specific setting that uses cipher system is that yes okay there are, there are a number of others that you can if you're if you're that deep in the paint you can just go to Monty Cook Games and and uh and look up the different ones that are also on there if you want to play in other types of genres but if you want to pl- if you want basically something that uh a setting and adventures that feel like playing 5e uh yeah look into the Numenera books Nice. Well, two solid recommendations down. Uh, both, I dare say, adequately nerdy that I, I feel we can continue doing this work. Uh, I wait for the day that one of us recommends something so cool that we have to be like, I don't know. I don't know if this is us anymore, but I don't think it's coming anytime soon. Um, if anything, I feel I, I feel slightly... Uh, I don't know if nostalgic is the right word, you know, realizing that we are at season six, episode 20, how far we've come, that we're very close to the halfway mark, <laughs> the halfway mark. I thought we were past s- the halfway mark. I think there's 12 seasons. And so if okay, we finish we're... six, we've got six more. Oh, that is how math works. Fuck. Yeah, so, sorry. See, this is, again, if we were more organized, we would be doing a big, very special retrospective episode for, like, the end of season six, but we're not going to do that. We're going to do a normal episode. If if there is a hell, I think it's that feeling you just had where you were certain when relief would arrive, and it's just been arbitrarily delayed. Yeah.